You're listening to the Promised Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Who's ready to hear the word of the Lord this morning? Come on, grab your Bibles and turn them to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to read it for you in verse chapter 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire but it did not burn up. Come on, somebody say, it did not burn up. Come on, you can be on fire for God and not burn out or burn up. You can just stay burning. Now Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses. It was probably very deep. Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Today, I want to speak to you about encountering the Lord. That encountering God creates transformation in your life. That encounters preempt the supernatural and that God is inviting us as people to every single day every single day come before the Lord and encounter Jesus every single day let's pray Jesus we thank you that your presence is here come on intercessors just begin to pray with me Lord I thank you Lord that the glory of the Lord is in this room Lord we invite you to do whatever it is you want to do this morning God we avail our hearts to you Come and transform us. God, speak to us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we are a people of your presence. God, that we desire nothing else but you. God, we did not come here to play games. We did not come here to go through the motions or to check a religious box, but we came here to meet with you. So God, come and encounter us here this morning. Father, we thank you for what you are doing across the land, what you're doing in this region. God, we thank you that the kingdom of God is advancing, that the gates of hell shall not prevail but your hand will be victorious and your name will be known across the land that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord in Jesus name and Elgos people said amen amen the kingdom of God is advancing let me say it again in case you did not know the kingdom of God is advancing you did not sign up for a picnic You did not sign up to observe. You signed up to participate in the kingdom of God. There is a battle being waged. And the kingdom of God is winning. Despite what you may read upon the news, his kingdom wins. Let me say it one more time. The kingdom of God is winning. He is not losing, nor will he lose. We know the end of the story. The harvest is not yet four months off. The harvest is today. It is right now. Thank you, my three rows back there. The harvest is today. (laughs) Come on, I see you. I see you. It's time that we begin to believe that God is as good as he says he is. 
He is as good as his word says that he is. Death could not keep him down. The devil is puny. And he has no authority over you. In fact, the only curse that has power over you is the curse that you choose to believe in. And here at the Promise Church, we choose to magnify God. We choose to magnify God. Because what you magnify in your life, you will multiply in your life. Come on, you need to write that down. What you magnify in your life, you will multiply in your life. When I magnify my problems, guess what I get more of? I get more problems. When I magnify my sickness, guess what? I get more sick. When I magnify my poverty, I get more poverty. But when I magnify who he is, when I magnify his presence, when I magnify his goodness, my sphere, my life begins to change. What you magnify, you multiply in your life. We need to be people that tell the story of the redeemed. That the word of our testimony of who Jesus is is the spirit of prophecy in the world today. That when I declare what God has done for me, what it begins to show you is that if he can do it for me, he can do it for you too. If he can save me, he can save you. If he can set me free, he can set you free. If he can deliver me from addictions, he can deliver you from addictions. If he can come and speak to me, guess what? He can speak to you. It is a spirit of prophecy when I declare the goodness of God in my life. And I don't prove the goodness of God based upon my successes. I prove the goodness of God based upon the scars and say, look what he got me through. Look at what he saved me from. Look at what he delivered me from. There's a lot of people who've got nice cars and nice houses that don't know the Lord. It's not your successes that define the goodness of God in your life. It's what has he brought you through and what has he saved you from. You deserve hell. And look at what he brought you from. Come on. In the presence of the Lord is life. It's time that we believe that he is as good as he says he is. You'll get canceled if you believe that this is the word of God still today. You'll get canceled today if you declare that this is still the word of God. But it's time that we begin to believe what's actually in here. So the promises that are in this word begin to make evident themselves out here. What becomes in here manifests itself out here when we begin to believe what's written in this word and live it out. I dare you to believe to be counterculture today. Dare yourself to be counterculture. I believe in a truth that cannot be canceled. You may not like it. You may not agree with it. But you didn't write it. He wrote it. All scripture is God-breathed and is sharper than any double-edged sword. And I'm not going to sit back and have somebody else create a narrative for my life while I sit in an armchair watching the world go to hell. No, he's given me a mandate. He's commissioned me. I'm not waiting for revival. I am revival. I am a walking, breathing encounter with God. And I owe the world an encounter. It's time that we stand upon the word of God. I will not depart from it. I will not depart from it. There's got to be a combination between commitment and passion. Commitment will take you places, passion won't. I'm a very passionate person, as you can tell. We're a very passionate church, if you're visiting here for the first time. We're a passionate people. You're, you're Derek. <laughs> if you were here about four weeks ago, my main man, Derek. I just called him out of the crowd and made up some random name. 
I'm a very passionate person. I don't even drink coffee. But when commitment and passion are married together, you won't just burn bright, you'll burn a long time. We're not here for just a good time. We're here for a long time. And we are going to fill the earth. We're not here in retreat. We're not here because we're scared. We're here to stand strong. I will not be intimidated. I will not be silenced. This is not political. This is, this is the kingdom of God shining bright. See, the political spirit tries to turn everything into a political rhetoric. This is about you standing up for righteousness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not stand up to the, to, to the country music that was being played while everybody was being told to bow down. Garth Brooks was there playing, and everybody was to bow down. They did not stand up and say, hey, King Nebi, I would change this and that. No, they said, even if God doesn't save me, I will not bow down. It was not some political message they had. It was power. It was authority. It was the spirit of God and a conviction inside of them to say, I will not bow to the world, but I will stand for truth. The world is looking for people who will not cave when life gets tough. The greatest testimony you will ever have is the attitude you keep when trials and tribulations come your way. The greatest testimony you will have is how you act when it gets tough. But see, God uses the trials as the greatest mechanism for development in your life. Anybody here go through a trial lately and realize, wow, God, you used it to grow me. You used it to develop me. You used it to teach me things. You learn things in trials you cannot learn in triumph. But God is faithful no matter the elevation of your life. Whether it's mountaintops or valleys, he is still faithful. Whether I celebrate or I'm in mourning, God's goodness never ends. And the world is looking for people like you and me who will stand up regardless of the situation and say, my God is good. I'm not here to give you a political message. I'm not here to try to convince you of anything or a theoretical argument. I'm here to say his goodness remains. That's the message the world needs. Persuasive words. Theological arguments is not going to change anybody. Facebook posts and Instagram shares is not going to change anybody. When did you change your opinion based upon something you read on Facebook? Never. The world is looking for Christians who walk in signs and wonders, power and authority, conviction without compromise. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 1, it says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I knew nothing. I had nothing else to say except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. It wasn't because they were scared of who they were talking to. It's because they were in the presence of the Lord. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's 
power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. If I can convince you to believe in God, the world will convince you to believe in itself. I am not here to convince you anything. I'm here to introduce you to the Son of God, for you to encounter his presence, and for you to surrender your life to him. Not to a message, not to a man, not to a church. You are not created to be an usher and a children's ministry worker, although we need them. You are created to be a light to the world. That's why you're alive. First Thessalonians 1 verse 5 says, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. We are not to give the world words. Y'all sitting there studying how to convince somebody. You need to be getting in his presence and giving them the world or giving the world Jesus. That's what it's about. It's not words. I don't know what to say. I don't have the right words to say. That's perfect. You don't need them. You just need him. I don't know what to say to my family when they come over for Christmas. Great. Show them Jesus. I don't know what to say to my coworker. Be Jesus to him. What, well, what does that mean practically? You, we, we, I'm an analytical guy. Any analytical people in the church? I want one, two, three, four, five steps. Give me the five steps to change my life. There is no steps. It's a life surrendered, and then it's obedience. God will ask you to do something you don't want to do, and it's a decision that you have to make in that moment. Will I obey? Will you obey? It's God's desire to walk with you, to talk with you, to be with you. The world needs an encounter with Jesus. And the way that they're going to get that is by Christians encountering Jesus every single day and being Jesus to them. Every single day. I remember growing up as a young kid and hearing youth pastors and pastors telling me, you need to spend time with Jesus every day. You need, to, you need to get in his presence every day. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. Like, I was like, can you just tell me? Like, what's the prayer to pray? Like, how do I just get in? Anybody ask those questions? Like, what? Can you just, like, explain it specifically? So I come in. I sit down. I recite this prayer. I turn this song on. And then I turn that song on. And it's this length of time when I recite this. I was waiting for the formula. What's the formula to get into his presence? I remember growing up watching my dad. Where's my dad? Is he in the room? There you are. Watching my dad and being like, I'd see him so many, so many days at the table with his, with his Bible open, tears pouring down his face as he was encountering Jesus and thinking to myself, like, how do I get that? Like, how do I, how do I encounter the presence of the Lord like my dad and and I would sit there with my Bible open and try to think sad thoughts. Like, <laughs> like I was like, because if I could just mirror the process, I thought it would do something. And like, we, you laugh, but you all do it yourself. You're at home like, where's the worship team? Come on, Ashley, keep playing the song. Like, I'm not feeling it anymore. YouTube, turn on last week's worship, try to play it through. Like, oh, there it is again. And we try to recreate a moment. A couple of years ago, a number of, quite a number of years back, I was maybe spending one or two days a week with the Lord, and to be quite honest, it was debatable the quality, like between checking scores from sports from the night before and uh, looking to see what my Steph Curry had did uh, the night before and, and then looking to see what social media was doing that morning. Like, it really was not quality time with Jesus. It was just acquaintance time with Jesus. 
And uh, I remember being in a church service and just encountering God, like something, God marked me that day, and I felt his presence in a way I'd never felt his presence before, and something stirred in my spirit that said, I'm not going to play this game any longer. I'm going to actually pursue God, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get into his presence. And so I made the commitment, every morning at 5 a.m., I was going to wake up. Every morning. And so the very next morning, I wake up at 5 a.m. Like, I'm jazzed. I'm so excited. I come downstairs. I get in, in my living room. I sit down on my chair. I close my eyes. I lay my head back. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm ready. And then an hour later, I wake up. And I'm like, wow, God, you must have just, I got drunk in the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know what happened. It was so powerful. I was out. I was slain. And the next morning, I come down again at 5 a.m. I lay down on the ground this time, soft piano music playing off my phone, laying there ready to encounter God. And 45 minutes later, I wake up as the house begins to stir. And I'm like, I am doing something wrong. I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be awake for this. And the Lord brought my attention back to 2 Timothy where it says that for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Some translations say power, love, and self-discipline. And the Lord began to challenge me to say, if you want to be awake for my presence, you need discipline in your life. Let me tell you something. Some of you, the, the, the answer to your encounter is to shut Netflix off, to get off your phone, to begin to focus on God. It's not a spiritual aspect. It's just practical application in your life to open this up and stop reading the news, but opening the word of God. And so my wife and I, we made the commitment, we're going to go to bed by 9 p.m. every day. Thank you. One person, one person. I go to bed in the 8 o'clock hour often. You want to know why? Because I got to get up to be with my Jesus. Because my, my kids are going to wake up at 6.30 or 7 o'clock. And if I don't get there by 5, I ain't getting there at all. So I got to get there early because I care. Because if I'm not with Jesus, my family knows. If I don't have an encounter with Jesus, I'm off that day. Because I live and breathe and move within his presence. I'm not a great person without Jesus. Maybe you're all awesome people without him, but for me, I must have him or else I'm not awesome. Right? Yeah, my son nodded. So we went to bed by 9 p.m., and I go there, and I begin to spend time with the Lord, and now I'm awake. I'm not falling asleep, but I'm like, God, why am I not hearing you? Why do I not hear your voice? Anybody get in the presence of the Lord and you're like, God, why aren't you speaking to me? Like I came here, where's your voice? Can I pass to you for a moment? The Lord's beginning to teach me a lot lately. The goal, the goal is not so that you feel God. The goal is so that God feels you. The goal is not that you would feel God. The goal is that God would feel you. In Scripture, in Scripture, Satan, Satan is passing by the throne of God. And God stops him and he says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? I am feeling him. I am feeling Job. Now, Job was a righteous man. Job was before the Lord daily. But there is never a mention in Scripture before God introduced Satan to Job where Job felt, or where God felt, sorry, where Job felt God. But God said, I am feeling Job, and now he is going to feel me. See, the goal is not that you would get some supernatural experience that you can write about on Facebook. The goal is every single day. Every single day. 
We don't take days off. We don't take vacation from being with the Lord. Every single day. This is the problem with Christianity in the church today is we want some traveling minister to come here with a YouTube channel who can come and lay hands on you and fix everything. It won't fix it. What fixes it is daily coming before the Lord, daily getting into his presence, daily opening up your word to say, God, I must have an encounter with you. And it's not coming in with all of your needs and desires and wants and prayer requests. It's coming in to give him the praise that he is due. The Bible talks about in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. My, my kids know this very well. We, we say this all the time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today what? Daily bread. Not yesterday's bread, not tomorrow's bread, not my pastor's bread, not somebody else's bread, but I need my daily bread. I need my daily bread. We see this with the Israelites, with the manna that came from heaven. We see this in Exodus 16, verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. The bread of the Lord will not sustain you tomorrow. You need today's bread. The bread of yesterday will not fulfill today's hunger. The bread with the Israelites would turn moldy or would melt away if they tried to keep it longer than a day. We see this with the, with the Levitical priests in Leviticus where God came and told them how to keep the fire burning in their life. All of us, in order to run the race well, to finish strong, we need the fire, the flame inside of us to continue to burn bright. And the Levitical priests were given clear instructions on how to keep the fire burning. This is for you. How do you stay hungry for Jesus? In Leviticus chapter 6, it says, then the priest shall then put on linen clothes with linen undergarments. This is why you all should wear underwear. Next to his body and shall remove, listen, and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Why? Because you can't burn ashes. Then the fire on the altar must be kept burning, verse Verse 12, it must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. You take the ashes of yesterday's encounter and you remove them off of the altar. In fact, if you kept reading, they would take those ashes and they would dump them outside the camp. Because as awesome as it was, it was, it can't sustain me today. So then I, I remove the ashes and I place, place the fresh firewood upon the altar and say, God, I'm desperate for you again today, just like I was yesterday. Here I am. Lord, meet me and encounter me today. Because yesterday's bread won't sustain you today. You need daily encounters with Jesus. Every single day. Monday, you need them. Tuesday, you need them. You need them again on Wednesday. You need them on Thursday. You need them on Friday. 
Oh, and by the way, on Saturday, even, even on Saturday, you need a daily encounter with Jesus. And on Sunday, whether you get it here or you get it at home, you need an encounter with Jesus the same every single day. As my family would say, any day that ends in Y. And I'll tell my kids, I'll tell Israel, I'll say, okay, go have your daily encounter with Jesus. He'll go upstairs, he'll spend time with Jesus, he'll read his Bible, and then we'll talk about it. When you encounter Jesus, there's something worth mentioning. So what is it? What did he speak to you? How did he transform your life? What, what did he communicate to you through his word? What did he speak to you clearly that you want to apply today? You needed a daily encounter with Jesus, and when you have it, it will transform your life. It doesn't matter whether it's three minutes or it's three hours. What matters is that you have an encounter. What does that look like practically? Let me just tell you what it looks like for me. Again, there's no formula. Uh, my, my approach has changed many times throughout, throughout my life, especially in the last couple of years. When I come before the Lord every single morning, I begin just, I put on uh, specific worship songs. and I'll just begin to pray out in the Holy Spirit. Come on, last week we prayed for people to get filled with the Holy Spirit that had not. And many people got filled last week with the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues. Come on, it's an unknown tongue that doesn't make sense to you, but it begins to stir your spirit. So I wake up and I'm excited to be in his presence or I'm tired. It doesn't matter. I go in and I begin to pray out in the Holy Spirit for 5, 10, 15 minutes. Just stir my spirit, get my mind off of anything else. All distractions are set aside. My phone is away. And I begin just to set my mind on things above and not on things of this world. Then, then I'll maybe I'll begin to read my Bible. If I'm reading my Bible, I will stop and I'll say, God, I'm about to read your word. I need you to speak to me. And I will read slowly. I'm not in a marathon, or I'm in a marathon. I'm not in a sprint. So I'm not trying to get through something so I can check a box. I'm trying to meet with him. I must encounter him. And this is the living word of God. So I must, I must, I'm, it's alive and it's going to speak to me and it's going to transform me. So I'm awake and I'm present and I'm, I'm right taking notes. And then I'm going to spend time worshiping him. And I'm going to approach him by giving him the praise. And so he tells us how to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, how be thy name. So before I ask for anything else, I just give him glory. You are worthy. You are magnificent. You are awesome. You're the great I am. You are the redeemer. You are my provider. You are my sustenance. You are my great reward. You are the doorway. I begin to set my gaze upon him. And then what it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now I begin to pray for my cities. I begin to pray for the leaders here. I begin to pray for my church. I begin to pray for revival to come. I begin to pray for souls to be saved. I pray for schools. I begin to pray over my family. God, let the kingdom of God come. Let revival come. Let, let us be known as a people of your presence. And then give me today now my daily bread. And I begin to get into different things I need to pray about. But I begin with making it all about Jesus. Because the goal is not that I would get my prayers answers. The goal is that he would feel my praise. We sang it about this morning. I just want to move your heart. It's all I want to do. My goal when I come before the Lord is God. I just want to move your heart. Hunger attracts the presence of the Lord. Write this down. Your sin will not keep you from your daily encounter. Your sin will not keep you from your daily encounter. Moses, as we read at the beginning, Moses had just killed a Hebrew. He left for 40 years. He was on the backside of the, of the wilderness doing whatever taking care of sheep. The man had issues, lots of issues. He had, was full of fear. He didn't want to go back. And the Lord has been challenging me lately to begin to go to my kids every day and begin to tell them how proud I am of them, 
how proud of them I am and to call out their purpose in their life. And so almost every night I'll grab them and I'll stare into their eyes and say, you are called to change the world. You have a purpose on your life where many, many people are going to come to know Jesus because, do I say this to you almost every night, because of, because of the purpose that God has placed on you. There's a fire in your belly that's got to get out that you are not scared. You are bold. You are a lion. You are not a little kitten, although you like kittens, but that's not who you are. You take care of kittens, but you are a lion, and you protect the little kittens, but God has called you. And as I'm speaking to them as a 4-year-old, as an 8-year-old, as a 10-year-old, they just stop and they listen. Because something is beginning to stir in their spirits because I'm calling out purpose and destiny in their lives. And I stop them and I tell them, I'm proud of you. I'm not proud of you for what you've done. I'm not proud of you for what you can do. But I'm proud of you because you are my son or you are my daughter. And no matter how they may run towards me, whether they're, they're, they're messy, whether they've had a bad day at school, whether they've performed bad in a sporting event, no matter how they may run to me, I will always embrace them. Your sin will not keep you from your daily encounter. In Luke chapter 7, it says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life. Anybody here ever lived a sinful life before? Great, if your hand is down, we'll have an altar call for lying. A woman in that town who, who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose it's the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned in verse 44 to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Oh, and you feel the presence of the Lord. She, you did not pour, put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sin will not keep you from encountering Jesus on a daily basis. Jesus did not come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He came for the broken. He came for the hurting. He came for the abused. He came for the neglected. He came for the depressed. He came for those who have been abused. He came for the, the worst of the worst. And he came for you. Your sin will not keep you from an encounter with Jesus. I remember a number of years ago, I was struggling with an addiction to pornography and, and, and struggling with, God, how, how, am I going to, how am I going to get free from this? How, God, how do you make a way to get me out of this? And I'd pray and nothing would happen. And I was struggling and, and, um, and feeling, feeling just like I was worthless and struggling whether I could come before the Lord and come into his presence. But I knew something. I knew that when, when he died on that cross, that he made a way for me to come. So I continued to go in crying out, God, 
bring freedom into my life. And I can remember when he encountered me in the midst of my sin. He encountered me in the midst of my shame. And he said, Aaron, you can be free. And he showed me the passage in James that says, if you confess your sin one to another, you will be healed. And he told me, go in and confess to your wife. Go and tell her and confess everything you have done to your spouse. And you will be free. And I remember going to my wife and confessing and bearing my soul to her. She laid hands on me and began to pray over me. And I felt a demonic spirit leave my body and I was set free in a moment. It stemmed from an encounter with Jesus in my sin. An encounter in my sin led to freedom. Your sin will not keep you from encountering Jesus. In Matthew 7, it says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good, give, give, good, give good gifts to those who ask him. Can you hear the Father this morning? He's inviting you. Struggling in your sin, in your shame, in your disobedience. Knowing you were asked to do that and you didn't do it. You were told to give that money and you didn't give it. You were told to say yes to that but you said no. You've been neglecting as a parent. You've been addicted to that substance. You've been addicted to that. You're living a life of compromise. He says, come in because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So he calls you from his presence and says, you need freedom. Come on in because here is where you will find it. He doesn't say get free and then you can come. No, he says, come in your sin into my presence because there you will find it. See, we think that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I must get free so I can come and know. He welcomes you and says, you want freedom? Come into my presence. You're battling sin in your life. You need a daily encounter with Jesus. I meet with people who are struggling in the marriage and like, what do I do? I'm struggling. I don't know how to have this conversation. We were falling out of love with each other. Are you encountering him daily? Tell me, what is it like your daily time with the Lord? Well, well, I just, I don't know how to get over this sin. I'm just battling this. What is it like your daily time with Jesus? Because in his presence, you will find freedom. So Moses, Moses is there, encounters God. Moses is, doesn't want to go back, doesn't have a desire to go back to Egypt. In fact, to him, he just wants to stay where it's safe, where it's comfortable. He's got a great thing going on. He's gotten married. He's got children. And God meets him while he's working. Well, never, never think that the Lord's only going to meet you. When you're spending time with the Lord, but God wants to be there whether you're working, whether you're driving, whether you're watching a movie, whether you're sitting around the dinner table, whether you're cutting a Christmas tree and it takes your wife three hours to pick up the right one. And then you tie it to your van because you don't have a truck with green string and you're worried because you're going 30 miles an hour down back roads because you don't want it to fall off. He will meet you in those moments when your kids keep asking you, when are we going to be there? And you're like, shut up before I kill you. He wants to be there in those moments. Oh, you thought your pastor was perfect. That didn't happen because this year we asked my brother-in-law to use his truck. Praise God. There's called learning in the kingdom of God. He wants to be with you. And the encounter... 
that was just an ordinary encounter turns into the supernatural. God immediately now tells Moses, throw down your staff. And the staff that was just an ordinary staff becomes a snake. And then he says, now grab the, the tail of the, of the snake. He picks it up and becomes a staff again. He says, put your hand inside of your cloak. He puts his hand inside of his cloak and pulls it out. All of a sudden, his hand is white with leprosy. He says, put it back into your cloak. He pulls it back out. All of a sudden, his hand is completely healed again. The supernatural will follow encounters with Jesus. A couple of, a couple of uh, maybe a year and a half ago, 18 months or so ago, we were trying to figure out whether we were going to launch another campus. And we were really struggling with whether, where to do it, should we do it, how should we do it, what would it look like. And I, I, frankly, I, I wasn't feeling at peace with it. And so I just began to go before the Lord and say, God, I need a word. Because I know this, that when you ask the Lord, he will speak to you. He is not silent and he is not deaf. He will speak to you if you will stop and listen. And so I began to say, God, I need a word. And I was spending time with the Lord during this particular evening just at my house in my bedroom. And uh, um, reading out of Genesis chapter 26, and I begin to read where it said Isaac, uh, or sorry, Jacob went back and reopened the wells that his grandfather Abraham had dug. Now, my grandfather had been a pastor in Longview many decades ago of a thriving church, and this church was, was just, it, it was exploding. It was experiencing massive outpouring of revival that was impacting the entire city uh, and really the southwest Washington. But when he left, the move of God stopped. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment and said, Aaron, I'm calling you to go back and redig the wells that your grandfather had dug in Longview. And all of a sudden, that encounter with the Lord propelled us as a church, confirmed a word in my heart, and we went and begin to walk supernaturally to create a new campus in Longview. An encounter led to a supernatural decision and now we're beginning to see supernatural harvest. We're seeing lives change, salvation come, people get healed and transformed. Access into schools. As Luke said, he didn't show a picture but he has these pictures where he's in with these, with these, these wrestlers and different athletes proclaiming the gospel in the middle of school. All of a sudden, what happens in an encounter creates the supernatural. Moses was meeting with the Lord. And he says, I want you to go back to Egypt. Set the Israelites free and confront Pharaoh. Now, if Moses was in the 21st century church... As I said a couple weeks ago, the church would probably tell him, hey, try to go win some favor with Pharaoh. Can you please make sure you approach him really nicely? You know, try to do it very, very delicately. We don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers because we want, to, we want to really win the favor of the world. But no, God says you will go and you will tell him to let my people go whether he likes to hear it or not. And so God tells him to go back to the Hebrew people. Which is actually, if you read scripture, the reason why he left, right? Because he killed an Egyptian and then a Hebrew brother came to him and he said, what, are you going to kill me too? So he ran away. He was scared. He had no desire to go back. Encounters, write this down, encounters will redeem relationships. Encounters with the Lord will redeem relationships. A couple of Years back, maybe three years ago, my brother and I, which if you didn't know, we have a senior leadership team. And, and my brother and I helped lead the church together with a team. And uh, he's actually preaching in Longview this morning. And um, we, were, we were really struggling leading together. If you don't know my brother and I, we, are, we could not be more different. Like we are, yes, Jeff and Danielle, we could not be more different. In look, in personality, 
and desires and dreams, we are very opposite from one another. And during that time when we were trying to lead together, we were like oil and water. You thought your pastors were just sitting on a cloud plucking a harp all the time. We were struggling. And we could not figure out why. What did we need to do differently? And I was spending time with the Lord uh, one morning just having my encounter with him. And, and all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to me probably while I'm praying that he will change my brother. And he speaks to me. And he's like, you need to begin to fast for Jonathan. And so that, that day, I started a three-day fast for my brother. And I began to pray. And as I was fasting for Jonathan, he began to change my heart. And all of a sudden, the things that used to irritate me, I begin to find value. And the things that used to challenge me, I begin, it began to convict my heart and realize I need what he has. The things that, that used to rub me the wrong way, all of a sudden, it, it stopped creating friction. And I stopped realizing that's the iron sharpening my iron. And my heart got changed towards him. I started to pray for him rather than just about him. I started to pray that God would meet him and encourage him and bless him and promote him and give him the desires of his heart. Now, unbeknownst to me, my brother at the exact same time was fasting for me. We were both fasting for each other. We did not know it. We were not planning for it, but we were both fasting for each other. So we came at the end of it and started talking to each other. And I was, I was like, well, I was fasting for you. So, well, I was fasting for you. And we're like, no way. And, and all of a sudden, what was once oil and water was like lightning and thunder. It was like peanut butter and jelly. It was like now we, what was once separating us was bringing us together. It was like Christmas tree and lights. I better stop. I can't think of anything else. Encounters with God will redeem relationships. God comes to meet Moses and he calls him to do what he didn't think he could otherwise do. He calls him up. He calls him higher. He says, I'm calling you to be a, mouth a mouthpiece for me, to be my voice to the people. To go lead a million people out of captivity. When you encounter God, he will call you higher. No amens to that. Did you all get scared when I said that? When you encounter God, he will call you higher. He will ask you to step out of the boat and onto the water. About three years ago, uh, I was in a church service, and uh, there was, uh, it was in Dallas, and a, and a lady, Patricia King, was preaching. And she began to talk about, uh, about being a benefactor. And as she was preaching, something began to stir in my heart. It was like she was speaking directly to me. And I realized that God was telling me I was called to be a benefactor, that I was called to make money and to give as much of it away as I possibly could. And that night I began to, as I was sleeping, have an encounter with the Lord, and he spoke to me, Aaron, you are to create a nonprofit, and you are to put this amount of money in it and to keep doing it, and you're to use it to take uh, the gospel all around the world. And you're to call it 33rd Company, which is one of the ministries that we support here. And... And so uh, we, we create this nonprofit, and, and uh, Pastor Chris, uh, Donald, and I, we, we begin to, to run with this. And all of a sudden, we meet this individual uh, named David Papavisi, who was just here a couple months ago, who, who's in the nation of Iraq. And he begins to share dreams and visions in his heart about doing these large crusades that have never been done before in the nation of Iraq to see many thousands of Muslims saved. And we're like, we want to partner with that. And we begin to sow many, many uh, large sums of money into this idea. And then David gets on a FaceTime call and says to me, he's like, well, well, he says to both of us, he's like, well, Chris, you should come, and Aaron, you should definitely come too. And I was like, what? 
you live in Iraq. I was like, I wanted to just give my money. I didn't want to do anything. Let me just say that again. I wanted to just give my money. I didn't want to actually do anything. Let me say it one more time, just here. All I wanted to do was I just wanted to give a little bit of money and not do anything. I didn't want to play any part. And, and so my wife and I, we lost sleep over this because we're like, oh man, am I actually willing to die for this? Like I tell other people, we need to give our life for the gospel. But now when I met a chance uh, to where I actually might give my life for this, I'm like, I don't know if I really want to do it because I confess that I'll do it, but I don't really live it. And so I, I make the proclamation that I will do it, but I don't know if I really want to do it. And so I, I mean, literally we're losing sleep. Like, am I willing to actually do this? And I'm going before the Lord and he begins to speak to me. He begins to challenge me and convict me. And I come out of these encounters with the Lord where I realize two things. How could I ask anybody else to give their life for Jesus when I won't do it myself? And if Jesus would lay down his life for me, I must be willing to lay down my life to advance his name. And I was delivered from a fear of dying for Jesus. Something broke in my spirit. Now for Chris, it died a long time ago, right mom and dad for them? That died many years ago, but for me, I didn't even realize it was still there. But God delivered me from an encounter in a church service that led me to make a decision I didn't feel like I could do to step out of the comfort out onto the water to now being brought into freedom. Encounter with the Lord will call you higher. I didn't even mention this, but, but when we started the nonprofit, three months later, three months later, a business that was going to be years away from us buying was offered to us to buy at a very discounted rate. And it should have been years away because when you have an encounter with the Lord and you walk in obedience afterwards, all of a sudden, the supernatural happens. Write this down, last point. The encounters come when your why goes from being about you to being about him. Encounters come when your why goes from being about you to being about him. The disciples saw supernatural moments all the time as they walked with Jesus. Why were they with him? See. See, everybody else, they came to be with Jesus to get a healing. They came to be with Jesus for a political leader. They came to get free. They came for their needs to be met. But these disciples, this group of disciples, they came for Jesus. For one thing, all they wanted was him. They didn't want answers to prayer. They just knew, Jesus, we need to be with you. Your encounters will come when you don't go to Jesus simply so your needs are met. Your encounters will come with Jesus when you come before him just to be with him, where he is all you need. It's not about my prayers being answered. It's about being in his presence. It's not about him doing what I need. It's not about him taking that away or making that person's change. It's just about giving him praise and adoration. When your why becomes about it being about him, Rather than it being about you, you will begin to encounter Jesus. And he's inviting you into moments every single day to come before him, to come before him with hunger, to come before him with honor and humility to say, without you, I have nothing. Without you, I am, I, I, I am weak. Without you, Lord, I'm not going to make it. But more than anything else, God, I just give you praise because you are worthy. Lord, I lift up your name that is above every name. I give you honor and praise and I worship you. Yeah, I got problems, but today it's not about me. In fact, tomorrow it's not about me. I just want to give you praise 
And all of a sudden, as you begin to create the atmosphere of praise, it says that he inhabits the praises of his people. His presence comes in and you encounter the Lord and your life is marked. This morning, would you stand with me? Everybody in the room, would you just lift your hands to heaven? Just lift your hands to the Lord. Jesus, Father, we thank you that your presence is here. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we did not come here to simply go through the motions. We did not come here, Father, to have a a great message preached to us. We did not come here, Lord, to, to be with friends. We did not come here, Lord, to check a religious box. But we came here to actually meet with you. You are the reason we came in this morning. You're the reason we woke up. You're the reason we got dressed for the day. It's all about you. So God, come in this place right now. Come in this place right now. Father, I ask for every single person in this room that you begin to fall in their heart right now. Come and touch them. Come and reveal yourself to them. God, we are hungry for you this morning. We are hungry for you this morning. We are hungry for you this morning. If you're here today and you've struggled, you've struggled thinking that your sin is going to keep you out of the presence of the Lord, I just want you to wave your hand at me. You feel like your addiction, your problems, your shame is keeping you from His presence. Just wave your hand at me right now. Who are you? Anybody else? Anybody else? Just wave your hand. Just wave your hand. Anybody else? Wave your hand. Come on, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Wave your hand. Father, I ask right now, come on, just church, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Lord, I ask right now that there would be a breaking of the spirit of shame and condemnation in Jesus' name. That, Lord, what the enemy wanted to use to keep us from you, you will use to draw us to you. Father, the Bible says that if you will draw near, that if we will draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So today, we draw near to you. God, come and encounter us in this moment. God, we need a fresh encounter with the presence of God. We need a fresh encounter with the presence of God. So Lord, we ask for your spirit to come in this room. May your spirit come in this room. Church, will you just lift your hands with me and begin to praise the Lord. Come on, let's sing the bridge. All I desire is one thing. One thing, and it is Jesus. One thing. Lord, let this be known, that we are a people that will not get distracted. We will be a people that will not get complacent. We will be a people, Lord, that will not become lazy in our pursuit of you. But today, we declare that my life, my life is about one thing, giving you praise. My life is about one thing, surrendering to you. I don't want anything else, Jesus. Come on, church. Come on, worship team. Come on. Begin to begin to worship the Lord this morning. You are my one thing. Nothing else that I desire. Nothing else that has my attention. But just you.
desire, if you need to come out of your seat, come up to the front right now. If you're realizing that you're beginning, you need something from the Lord this morning. You need an encounter with Jesus. And you're like, I'm feeling restricted. I don't know if you felt it all during worship. You feel it during worship this morning. Restriction. You feel, I don't know if you felt it. But there, there's something resisting this morning. We're going to break through right now, either in the last eight minutes of church. If you're needing to break through something this morning, come out of your seat and come up to the front right now. Anybody? Come out to your seat. Come up. I love awkward moments. Come out. Come out. Come up. Come up. Come up. Come up to the front. Church, what we're going to do. Hold on. Hold on. Worship team. What we're going to do is we're going to break through something. Each and every single one of us. Anybody ever come before the Lord on a, on a morning and you don't feel like it? Anybody ever come before the Lord in your time with the Lord and you don't feel like it? Wow. You all are super Christians. I don't always feel like it. But it's not about feeling. It's not about me. He is good whether I feel like it or not. He is worthy of my praise whether I want to give it or not. And so this morning, we're going to bust through. We're going to break through. Everybody in this room, if you would do this, if you close your eyes and lift your hands. Lord, I take authority over every religious spirit. I take authority of the spirit of fear and the spirit of pride. You have no place in this room. Father, we will not go through the motions here. We will not play games. Lord, I ask for something to be stirred in our hearts today. Lord, a commitment to have daily encounters with you. In this morning, God, I ask that you encounter us right here in this moment. That what we encounter in this moment will lead to every single day going before you and encountering you, Jesus. So right now, we begin to lift our voices. We lift our hands and we lift our voices to heaven. And we say, God, we are here to meet with you. Come on, Promise Church. I want you to let him know with your words that you are here to meet with him. God, I only desire to be with you. God, I thank you that right now in this moment, you are about to bring a transformation 